0: As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more
1: about High Point at www.highpoint.church.
0: Well, we have some celebrating to do this weekend. And you know why, because it is the 21st anniversary since High Point Church was launched. In Glenbard South High School with a small group of faithful people to see lives transformed. And we had this big celebration planned a year ago, one year ago, for the 20th anniversary. And who would have thought we would still be dealing with this pandemic all this time later. But I'm telling you, we are praising God for all that he's done over the past two plus decades. So thankful for Pastor Ron and Jody for stepping out in faith all those years ago, believing that God would do exceedingly more than we can ever ask or imagine. I'm honored that Pastor Ron would ask me to bring this message today as we celebrate together. And speaking of celebrations, imagine with me for a moment. Like think about a day back pre-COVID, if you can even think back that far, when you were part of one of the greatest celebrations, one of the greatest experiences you've ever had, that, that festival, that concert, that, that big game, is anything coming to mind? I mean, maybe you remember a time like this one. You were just entranced by the songs of Chris Martin at a packed Coldplay concert, hands raised, an arena with people singing and shouting. Or maybe it was this more recent one. Maybe uh, the elation of Buccaneers fans as Brady sealed the deal with his seventh Super Bowl ring. Or maybe you haven't been to this one, but it's called La Tomatina, and it's in Spain. It's a large festival where attendees do this. Catch this, you can see it. They, they throw smashed tomatoes at one another in the streets. So here's how it's said to have been started. It was in the 40s after World War II, and students began having a food fight in the streets after a long religious ceremony as an act of rebellion against the church. So, hey, I don't know, if you don't like the message today, just feel free to throw some tomatoes at the screen. But hey, what do all these celebrations have in common? Maybe it's a stretch, but you're witnessing worship in action. I mean, stick with me, because it's true. These are common responses that all people have built into our DNA when we celebrate. I mean, we scream, we cheer, we lift our hands, we let our childlike self fill up with emotion and response from what we've just seen and experienced. And here's why. All of us are designed to be worshipers. The question today is not, do we worship? We do. The question is, what do we worship? We're continuing our series called Rhythms of the Soul as we've been studying through the Psalms. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Psalm 100. It's a short Psalm. It's only a few short verses, but it's going to instruct our hearts on how to come before God in real worship. In fact, that's the title of today's message, Real Worship. Like, what is it? Where can I find it? How do I participate in it? Listen to what the psalmist writes. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord, he is God. It's he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So what are we to do? Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. I want to share today four realities of what real worship is. And we're going to see it right in this short psalm. Real worship is realized in action. That's what we see in the first two verses. Now, notice right out of the gate, the psalmist, I mean, he's coming in hot, man. He's not doing any warm-up stretches. He's going to teach us what we do when we encounter God. We can't help but respond in action. Now, see these verbs that instruct us in how we respond. Look, look, shout for joy to the Lord. And then what do we do? We worship the Lord with gladness. We, we, We come, we bring our full selves before him. And what we're seeing is a call to worship. It's a call to action. Really what it is, it's an invitation. The psalmist is calling us to prepare our hearts to encounter God. He's saying, hey, hey let's get in the game. Let's stop being on the sidelines because this thing called worship, it's not a spectator sport. Now, I know worship can kind of feel like in elusive terms at times. I mean, what is it? Are, are, we, are we just talking about singing or am, am, am I reading the Bible? Am I raising my hands? Am I praying? Well, yes, all of those things. But it's more than just those physical actions. Uh, what we're going to learn today is that, that it's at the heart of who we are. And worship, is, it's in the actions of our heart. Worship is really about the posture of our heart, all the things we do. And it's actually realized in every action and every choice that we make throughout the day. Maybe let's start with a few definitions that might be helpful. I think William Temple said it more eloquently than I could. Look how he defined worship. Worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by holiness The nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose, and all of this gathered up in adoration. Now, in the Old Testament, there was a very structured way in which people would come before God, like we saw in verse 1. Uh, We see it demonstrated in the Old Testament temple, and the Jewish people would gather there for worship. And you might be asking, hey, what does the Old Testament temple have anything to do with how I worship Jesus today? Well, in the Old Testament, before Jesus came down to earth, worship was focused on obedience and obedience to God's law. There were sacrificial systems of worship that had to be followed precisely. It was very specific and very detailed in the way in which the Jews would come before God and worship. Animals would be sacrificed. Very specific offerings would be brought to an altar. It was calculated. It was precise. And sacrifice was the focus of their worship. Well, then Jesus came to earth, and what did Jesus say? He came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And as we worship today, we worship out of a place of not bringing all of these physical sacrifices, but remembering that Jesus fulfilled the ultimate sacrifice, that he died for you and for me. He was the sacrificial lamb. Catch this. Your heart became the temple. Today, the temple of your heart is where worship takes place. Let me say it like this. Maybe using the Old Testament temple as a picture for your own heart. Now, there was different rooms. This is just a a very rough look at what the temple might have looked like. And there's different rooms within our heart that we can bring before God in worship. The way the temple was built is there was an outer court, And then there was an inner court, and then what's called the the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies actually had a a bigger court around it that was called the Court of the Priests, or, or some would call it the Holy Place. And these were three distinct places that had three distinct purposes when it came to engaging with God. The outer court was a place of gathering. I guess you could call it the lobby of the temple, so to speak. It was a place for meetings and and fellowship, discussing, talking with people. It was a place to initiate relationship. And in the same way, that's what's happening in the temple of our hearts. If real worship is realized in action, the first step, the outer court, is it's to enter in. To make the decision to come before God like we see in verse 2. That we're going to worship the Lord with gladness and come before God. That's the choice that we make in the outer court of our heart. Think about it like this. Now, I'm going to make you jealous here for a minute. So get ready. When I was growing up, I had a friend whose dad's company had season tickets to see the Chicago Bulls. And we're talking the 90s here. All right. So we're talking like the last dance Bulls. They had four tickets. He was an only child. And so I would regularly get the invite to go see the Chicago Bulls in their prime. And I'm telling you, I had no business being there. I had no idea the magnitude of what we were witnessing at the time as a 12-year-old. And I remember going to my first game and just showing up at the stadium was the highlight. I mean, I was pumped. And I saw that statue of MJ with his tongue out outside the United Center. And honestly, that would have been enough. Like, like that's it, let's pack up, let's go home. This was the greatest moment of my life. But of course, we didn't just pack up and go. We went inside the stadium. People were everywhere, there was buzz in the air, and then we started walking to our seats. And we kept walking down and walking down and I'm not kidding, they were floor-side seats. As a 12-year-old watching Jordan and Pippen, it, it was nuts. I'm telling you, if you don't believe in privilege, now you do, okay? And, but man, Jordan and Pippen were probably 15 feet away from me doing warm-ups on the court. Now think about this. How excited in that moment do you think I was to see the Jordan statue out front? I could care less about the statue. He was standing right in front of me and hey this is the same opportunity we have in worship too many of us are satisfied standing outside with just maybe a knowledge or a picture a statue of who God is what we think he is when the living breathing God of the universe is waiting for us welcoming us courtside it's incredible in real worship God is inviting us into something so much greater Real interaction with God and his spirit. The question is, are we going to remain in those outer courts, so to speak? Or are we going to enter into something greater? And that's really what the second reality is, is that real worship is rooted in truth. So if the first two verses are an invitation, an invitation into the stadium, so to speak, into the temple, verse 3 then starts to explain how we approach God in worship. And notice how it starts. First, we have to know God. Know that the Lord, he is God. Who he is, his character. And who he is in relation to us. Know that the Lord, he is God. It's he who made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Now, the knowledge that the psalmist is referring to here, this isn't head knowledge. This isn't the kind of knowledge you can learn in school or find in a book. This is courtside knowledge. I've been there, I've seen it, I've experienced it with my own two eyes. Experiential knowledge is to know that the Lord is God. Because why? I've experienced the presence of God. So what are we supposed to know? Well, the first thing is this, that he's the one true God. And that was significant in their day as this psalm was written. And it's significant in our day. Why? Because we have a tendency to make gods or make idols of God things. And we see throughout the Bible that there's many people that would worship false gods. And the time this psalm was written, they were doing that as well. They were turning away from God to create their own idols. It was false worship. It wasn't real worship. This is why real worship has to be rooted in truth. The truth of God's word. The truth of who God is and who we are in light of who he is. Now, look back at verse 3. Let's unpack it a little bit because we see in this first line, what do we see? We see to know God. It might sound basic, but, but even as we talk about worshiping false gods or things that we make a God in our life, we have a propensity to distort who God is, the God revealed in this Bible. But then we see what? He who made us. What he's referring to is to know that God is our creator. He made us we are made by God he knows everything about you he's the master builder and you are his master creation and then know that for those of us who choose to follow him what does he say I mean we're his children we are his people and that's just a reminder for you to know that like you are not alone we're his children together in this huge family called the church we're his people And then the last one's kind of a little bit interesting. It ends with, and the sheep of his pasture. Now, now, listen, remember, this is what he's trying to say, that God is going to protect you. That's the shepherd's job. The shepherd's job was to protect his flock, to stave off the wolves who wanted to attack the sheep. And every good shepherd is the protector of his pasture, the protector of the sheep. So what is this all saying? Well, back to the temple of our heart, there's a shift that's taking place. If you're going to leave the outer court of the temple of your heart and enter into the inner courts. In the Old Testament, the inner courts was only for those who were true followers of God, for the Israelites. And this is a mindset shift as we enter into worship. Hey, if I can just share my heart for a minute, too many of us, we just remain out here in the outer court. And I'm not saying you don't worship God out there. But I'm saying sometimes it can just stay on the surface. And we miss the opportunity to truly go into the deeper place with God. I said that there were three distinct places. The outer court, the inner court, and then the holy of holies. And and if the outer courts is a place of invitation, that's what it is. We're invited into worship. Then the inner courts is a place of surrender, surrender in a place of sacrifice. In the inner courts, it requires shifting in our hearts, real relationship, real connection with God. Now, the inner courts is where the altar would have been positioned to bring those sacrifices and those offerings to God. And listen to this, in the inner court of your heart, you and I, we come as the sacrifice. We offer ourselves to God. But the sacrifices we offer, they're not physical sacrifices. They're spiritual sacrifices saying, God, I surrender my whole life over to you. It's like we see in Romans 12 where it says, we present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God because this is what our spiritual act of worship. Here's what I think the songs of the inner court sound like. The songs of the inner court sound like, God, use me. God, change me shape me, mold me to look more like you. God, remind me of your goodness. God, I thank you again for the sacrifice that you made by sending Jesus to the cross to take my sin. The sound of the inner court of your heart is one of surrender and one of submission. And here's why we choose in the inner courts to surrender and to submit to God, because we acknowledge the truth of who God really is. I've heard it said like this, and I like it. Four great truths about God and about us. God is what? Great. So, what does that mean? Hey, I don't have to be in control. I can let God be in control. God is glorious. Man, I don't have to fear anything, I don't have to fear others. God is good, so we don't have to look. Elsewhere, All the goodness that we need in this world can be provided by God. And last, God is gracious. So I don't have to prove myself. I just bring myself to God in worship. But let's not end there because there's another room that we can enter into in this real worship. Real worship is revealed in spirit. Now first, notice that, that I'm talking a lowercase Yes, it's revealed by the Holy Spirit as well, but that's not specifically what we're talking about. We're talking about our spirit, that we bring our whole selves, our mind, our body, our soul, our spirit into our time of worship. And we now see in verse 4, how? Like, how do I position myself before this holy God? So we start to see the posture of worship because it's an appropriate question. I mean, how do I approach God? Well, Well, look how we approach God. Enter his gates with thanksgiving be thankful for all God has done. And his courts with praise give thanks to him and bless his name. We enter the presence of God with awe and adoration. I mean we see it right there, thanksgiving, praise. Why? Well, because what we just saw, the greatness and the gloriousness, the goodness and the graciousness of God that we know to be true. Pastor Ron shared about this a couple weeks ago, but that's what's described in John 4, 23, and 24. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture on the topic of worship. It says this But the hour is coming, is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. One translation says that the Father is searching for such people. I I love that picture. As I was a worship leader for the first decade of my ministry, I always had that picture in my mind when I was leading worship. That God was looking down into the sanctuaries, just like ours, and and he was just kind of scanning the crowd and scanning the room, searching for us. Where are my genuine worshipers? Bringing him worship in spirit and truth. It's a powerful image. Well, hey, like, give me the Holy of Holies, man. I mean, let, let, let's get in there. This, the holy place that's surrounded and the Holy of Holies in the middle. Well, the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament was the dwelling place of God's presence. If we had described that, this is a place of adoration. This is a place of pure adoration and awe to God. Now, here's the interesting thing about the Holy of Holies. Only one person, a priest, was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies once a year. In the court here that was called the Holy Place, the court of the priests, and they would literally do this. They would tie a rope around the priest's foot or waist as the the presence of God, think about this, was so mighty and so holy, they they might need to pull the priest out of the Holy of Holies. It's kind of like when my kids... Try to tiptoe into the room while my wife Sarah is sleeping on one of the few days she actually gets to sleep in. And I'm like running down the hall with a lasso trying to keep them from waking up Mama Bear because nobody wants to wake up Mama Bear on her sleeping day. But seriously though, it's this remarkable picture that our sinfulness is so much to bear in the presence of our Almighty God. The glory of God brought into a whole new perspective in the Holy of Holies of your heart. It's the deepest place of your heart. And that's the place that God wants to meet you in worship. And what happens in the Holy of Holies is we enter into pure adoration of the goodness and of the graciousness of God. And here's the amazing part, because of what Jesus did on the cross, it's not just one of us that gets to go in one time a year to experience the presence of God. In the temple of your heart, you have 24-7 access to the holy place that you can experience the manifest presence of God himself. But we can't expect that kind of experience with God if we're just hanging out on the sidelines, lingering in the outer courts. It's a choice. And it's a choice that we each make. Are we going to enter into the fullness of God? Let me share some postures of worship that might be helpful. They're actually physical postures, but they mirror what we're desiring to see God do inside of our time of worship. It's said that 80% of all communication is nonverbal, and I'm telling you, that can apply to our worship as well. It becomes our outward expression of an internal reality. And there are many ways we see throughout the Bible, but let me just give you a few postures, really practical for how we worship both corporately and personally. You might see it around in in a worship center at a church service, and you're like, man, what are those people doing? What is this all about? Let's look at some of these postures of worship together. The the first is kneeling. I mean, kneeling before God, it's a posture of submission. It's, It's a posture of surrender to God. When I get down on my knees, it's a powerful way of saying, God, I'm not in control, but you are fully in control. I give my life to you. Psalm 95 says it like this. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Another posture is just opening up your hands. This is a posture of receiving. Opening your hands to God is a way of saying, God, speak to me. God, speak truth into the situation I find myself in. Fill me again with your comfort and guidance and lead me through the circumstances of this life. Psalm 85 says it like this. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. For he's going to speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. And then a third posture is this. It's raising our hands. Raising our hands is a posture of adoration and a posture of praise. When you raise your hands, you're saying, God, I worship you. I adore you. I give all my admiration and praise. I'm reminded of your goodness to me. I'm reminded that you are who you say you are. And I will always place my trust in you. I will always put you in first place. Psalm 63 says it like this. So I will bless you, God, as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hand. I remember a few years ago, I was leading worship with my wife, Sarah, and we were singing one of those holy of holies type songs. I mean, God, God, we give you the glory, pure adoration. And I paused in the moment during the song and I said, hey, if you're comfortable, would would you raise your hands in the air as a physical symbol that you choose to exalt God in this moment? And I saw the hesitation on some people's faces, like, man, I've never done that before. This doesn't feel natural. But hands begin to raise all around the room. And then if you're super spiritual, you can put both hands up. That's the double-hander, okay? But, 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 but But we sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. With all creation I sing. Praise to the King of kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. Here's what happened after the service a guy w- walked up to me, and, and this is like a dude's dude, okay? I think the last time he had his hands in the air, I mean, it included a Bud Light and a Bears jersey, all right? Uh, but, but, but here's what he said to me. I've never done that before. When you asked, I didn't want to do it. But as I raised my hands, something unlocked inside of me when it comes to worship. I felt like a, a little kid lifting up my hands for my dad to pick me up and pull me in. And he said, it was the first time I ever really understood what we were doing when we sang together at church. The physical posture unlocked the posture of his heart. I mentioned it before, but my wife Sarah and I have spent years leading worship together, and I wanted her to Join me, and we want to take a moment to experience this kind of real worship right now, to worship God right in the middle of the message and to put the message into practice. If you're in one of our worship centers or if you're at your house right now, would you do this? Would you stand right now together? And as we stand, I just want to ask, would all of us close our eyes? Nobody's looking at you. Nobody's watching you right now and ask God in this moment, what posture of worship do I need to put into practice right now? Do I need to kneel down right where I am and just surrender everything in your life over to God to give up control? Maybe you need to open up your hands and receive from God. Have your spiritual tank refilled Maybe you need to raise your hands in the air as a sign of praise and adoration for all that God has done and is doing in your life. Hey, this is a time for real worship in the presence of our very real God. Maybe you've never done this before. Hey, that's okay. Maybe you're like the guy I just told you about and you're skeptical. That's okay too. But this is a time to meet with God and there's something powerful about physically positioning yourself to reflect the posture of your heart let's sing this simple song together
1: how great
0: Would you remind us again of your greatness, God? Remind us again of your glory, God. And that's why we want to come before you and have the temple of our heart meeting with you, God, having you transform us, having you change us. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, the final reality today, this thing that we're talking about called real worship, is this real worship is resonating in eternity. I mean, I'm going to simply say it like this. Get used to it, because worship always has been and always will be throughout eternity encompassing the throne of God. Look at verse 5. Here's what it says. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. You see, all people over all time have access to the enduring love of God. It's why we worship. When we come to that reality, why would we choose to worship anything or anyone in this life other than God? Because God is the only one that fully delivers. And God will deliver his faithfulness to every generation. When you experience the never-ending love of God in your life, the only response is to return it with thankfulness and unwavering Adoration. It's what Robert Weber says is like this worship is an it is well with my soul experience. I don't know about you, but I need some more it is well with my soul moments in my life. These are the times when the baggage of life gets unpacked, the weight is lifted in the presence of God. Now, as we prepare to sing, some of you Maybe I've heard people say, you know, hey, we're going to spend eternity with God singing and praising him. And you're like, man, is there like an optional spot in heaven where I can hang out and do something else? Or, you know, what are my options here? Can I, can I, can I opt out? What kind of options do we have? Hey, yeah, I get that. But I'm telling you, when you're in the presence of greatness, you're not looking to escape somewhere else. You're, you're locked in. It's complete awe. And you better believe, when I was at that Bulls game, I didn't take my eyes off Michael Jordan and his greatness for a moment in that game. And I'm telling you, that pales in comparison to the greatness you can experience in God's presence. Hey, as we put that picture back up of the temple and remembering these rooms of our heart that get deeper, let me just ask, I mean, where are you at today? When it comes to worship, are, are, are you kind of just hanging out in the, the outer courts? Maybe you're a little skeptical and you're happy to attend church and be in community, but man, you're not really fully committed to what God wants to do in you and through you. I don't know, maybe you're in the inner courts, the place of surrender, and, and you're learning about the truth of who God is and what his word teaches. That's awesome. It's such a great place to be. But what if all of us, chose to enter into the holy place right now where the literal presence of God is waiting to, to meet with you, to speak to you, to transform you, to change your life and to find you worshiping him in real worship in spirit and truth. God has something so much greater prepared for you and for your life. Hey, hey let's not hold back. Let's worship God together right now.